we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM and also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or streaming on 3cr.org.au. I'm Sue Robertson, your host for tonight, and on the panel I have Liz and Aziza. Aziza has stepped in at the last minute from her own show, The Nail Show, which is two shows after us, to help us out. Thanks so much, Aziza, and thanks, Liz. It's now just after 6pm on Tuesday the 30th of May 2023, and I want to start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the original and rightful custodians of the land, waters and skies that 3CR broadcasts from. We pay our respects to Elders, past and present, and to First Nations listeners. We also acknowledge this land was stolen, never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This week is National Reconciliation Week, and it's a really important annual observance across Australia, across this country. And it's a chance for every one of us to reflect on and acknowledge past and ongoing injustice. And it's a time to explore how each one of us can contribute to achieving reconciliation in Australia. And right now, we're all thinking and talking about the upcoming federal referendum to change the Australian Constitution to enshrine a voice to Parliament for First Nations Australians. And there's quite a lot of discussion buzzing around out there about this change to the Constitution. Unfortunately, this includes a lot of myths. So this evening, in this week of reconciliation, we aim to deal with some of those myths. I'm joined by Tom Warren-Smith, who is our special guest for tonight, and he's a senior lawyer at West Heidelberg Community Legal Service. Tom has acted in a wide range of public law matters for both the government and private clients. So we asked him to join us for tonight's program to give an informed opinion about some of the legal issues that are being talked about in this debate. Tom's joining us by phone. Welcome, Tom. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you very much for having me. Before we kick off on our myth-busting exercise, Tom, um, I know that you gave this myth-busting um talk to your colleagues at work and I just want to know what motivated you to address this topic in your actual workplace. Uh, look, it's one of those um, issues where I think you know everyone has a, a role to play and it seems to me that perhaps more even than in past referendums, there's been a lot of um, legal arguments thrown around um, to kind of confuse the debate and kind of distract from what's actually a really simple principled policy question. Um, and so I thought that, you know, having practised in the relevant areas that I could offer something to hopefully kind of make sure that people are thinking about what the real issues are and not what some of the um, misguided legal arguments are. 
Okay. Oh, that's great. Um, I might get you to just talk a little bit more into your phone, Tom. You're very quiet. Can you talk a bit louder? Uh, all right. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's all right. Okay. So what we'll do now is just get stuck into um, um, some of those myths. Uh, and the first one, of course, is um, the idea that somehow we need more detail and, and the related sort of cry that this is all untested and should be legislated first before it's put into the Constitution. What's your response to that one? Okay. So, firstly, what's, what's set out in the amendment is basically three simple sentences that will go on to the end of the current Constitution in a new chapter to create a, a new and different entity from what already exists. Um, the Constitution as it stands is 31 pages long. Um, it provides only a very basic framework of how the government should, or how the government has to operate, um, and it leaves the rest to the parliament to enact all the laws that give the detail to what the constitution has set out. Um, and necessarily, that changes over time, uh, and the parliament legislates new laws to keep up with a modern society and um, make sure that you know, the systems are operating. To, um, for the best interests of the community now. Um, and that's, that's exactly what's being proposed here. The, what's being added to the Constitution will be the very basic framework to say that there must be a voice and that it will make representations on issues that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And then it leaves the mechanics of that to the Parliament. Um, and that, that is exactly the case with every other institution of government in the Constitution. Um, to give you some context, in 1946, Australians voted um, to support a referendum to give the Commonwealth power to pay pensions and allowances. Um, now, during that referendum, uh, the government didn't explain the now two and a half thousand pages of Social Security Act <laughs> and every little payment that was going to be made to people. What was asked to people was whether, in principle, the Commonwealth Government should be responsible for these kind of payments so that they were fair and adequate across the whole country. And that's what we're dealing with here. Okay, The real issue is whether people support the principle that there should be a constitutional guarantee that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have a formal mechanism to make representations to the government about issues that affect them. That's, that's what we need to decide here. The cry for detail is disingenuous. Um, I mean, A, there is a lot of detail, uh, and B, that will necessarily change, and that's not the underlying question that the community has to answer here. Okay, so um, that's a really great example that you gave, you know, in 1946, when I presume that was post the Second World War, about supporting... Um, um, members of our community setting up the social security system and wow we all know how complicated that legislation is these days <laughs> so yeah. um yeah okay great um all right well the next one is the idea that somehow this is going to change our democracy um, there'll be some sort of third chamber and um, I presume what people mean by that is, you know, the, you've got the Senate and the House of Representatives and somehow there'll be another complete chamber in the Parliament um, or a fourth arm of government um, 
that can veto um, government decisions. Um, this one really bugs me, actually, when I hear it. So, but you know, your response to that would be really great. Yeah. So um, you're, you're right. This is you know really absurd, um, <laughs> and anyone putting that argument, it's you know a um, crystal clear signal that they have absolutely no understanding at all of how the government works or what's being proposed. Because mm-hmm. um, it, so it will be a new section 129 of the constitution. It will be entirely separate from the parliament. It'll have nothing to do with the parliamentary process. That is, other than to make representations into that process. Um, to say that it could possibly have a veto or that you know it'll be a fourth arm of government, whatever that might be, um, is just plainly wrong. Yeah, well, and that's because the Constitution actually has one part that sets up the structure of the government and another part that uh, says what the federal government is allowed to make law about. Is that right? Uh, Sort of. So the first um, chapter sets up the parliament. Um, It says what, what the houses of parliament will be and what the powers of the Commonwealth Parliament will be. That's in one chapter. And that's and then, not going to be changed? No. Mm-hmm. no. That'll be entirely unchanged. The next chapter is about the executive, and then that is the government, as we understand it, all the doing, all the public servants, mm-hmm. uh, all and the organs of government that implement the laws that Parliament makes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the, going to be changed? Again, that's not going to be changed. And, and um, just to clarify for our listeners, the executive are, are the... The parliament is where all the laws are made and the executive are all of their staff, basically, in the background who create the rules that make it possible for the laws to actually be become operational. Is that right? Uh, essentially, I think the better way to characterise it is that the, um, the executive are the people who administer the laws. Mm-hmm. So parliament says... Um, taking social security for an example that a person who's unemployed has a right to a particular payment that's what the law says that the parliament's passed all the executive that is the staff in Centrelink who administer that law then make the decision about you know whether you qualify whether you have other assets or whatever they're the ones who implement the laws that parliament makes Mm -hmm. Um, so they're the ones who affect individuals Okay. Yeah, they decide whether you're entitled to social security or whether, you know, um, and you know uh, you have a planning permit to um, change your house. They're the ones doing the doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the um, the voice is not in chapter two. It's not part of the executive. It'll have no role in affecting individuals' rights and interests. Right. And so the, the part of the Constitution that this fits into, you're about well, to... Well, that's the thing. It doesn't fit into any of the existing parts, so they're going to make a new chapter mm-hmm. because this is something different that we haven't done before. Um, and it's separate from the existing organs of government. It's going to be an entirely new body. Fantastic. So it's very clearly separated. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and that means that there's no power there that's going to come from this for, for the voice to 
put the kibosh on any of the government's decisions? No. No, the, the voice could say, um, we think this proposed law is terrible. It will have a, a very detrimental impact on um, these Aboriginal communities. Uh, you should do X, Y and Z to change it or do something entirely different. And it will be the responsibility of each of the members of parliament to consider that when they go to vote on the proposed law. But the voice itself will have no say on whether that law is passed or not. Okay. And um, the next one on our myth list is that the government will be paralysed by High Court challenges. Um, so this has been the popular one recently. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as I said, there are 128 other sections of the Constitution. Um, none of them have yet managed to paralyse the government. So quite how this one is going to manage that, I'm not sure. Um, especially given that it only has a tiny fraction of the roles of the other government bodies created by the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a very well-defined and narrowly cast role um, to make representations about issues affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, this is another non-issue, um, and all the experts, including former Chief Justices of the High Court, the most experienced practising barrister in the country, the most frequently in the High Court, I should say, Brett Walker, um, and all the serious academics who've looked at this agree that it's just not the reality of what can happen. Um, There won't be this avalanche of new challenges. And you don't have to think for long about, you know, as lawyers, exactly the mechanics of what that challenge would look like and what it could achieve to realise that it's just not something that will happen. In fact, in... um, in his evidence to uh, the parliamentary inquiry on this, Brett Walker said, look, if anyone wants to put that argument, don't brief me. I don't want to run it. That's a terrible argument. <laughs> so basically he's saying, you know, and all of these really um, clever legal minds are saying um, we wouldn't take it on. Yep. Yeah. Basically, it's just, um, mm. it's just not not the reality of what will happen at all. Mm. I I suppose there's the rare um, possibility that um, someone could make an application to the High Court without legal representation, and of course that's part of our, 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 one of our rights here in Australia, but the process there is quite complicated, isn't it? So the High Court actually has to hear the application and then decide whether they they're going to actually take take a good look at the case. Yeah, so there's a first step in the process. It's called a special leave application. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally those applications are decided by two judges of the High Court um, and sometimes you get a very short hearing and they decide <laughs> if there's anything in it that's worthwhile for the court to consider. And there are hundreds and hundreds of them every year. You can read the, the High Court puts out a bulletin of all of them and... Very few go to um, an actual full court hearing. So there is a a filtration process, if you like, to make sure that the court is only dealing with serious questions. And questions that they um, should be dealing with. Yeah, where there's Mm. something important for the law um, or there's, you know, something has gone wrong in the administration of justice. Okay. 
Um, all right. Next, next on our list is the idea that this voice will racialise Australia and treat people differently because of their race. Um, so this was a new low for Peter Dutton last week. Um, <laughs> straight away, it was criticised by uh, he was the um, race discrimination commissioner, uh, and already this week. I heard the Nationals leader trying to distance himself from those comments. Um, basically, it's, you know, this is dog whistle, dirty tactics mm-hmm. from the guy who didn't attend the apology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's trying to appeal to a particular base by saying that, um, and there's there's no evidence for it, and people should see it for what it is. I mean, you know, our constitution is often characterised as the birth certificate of the country, and on, I think, any sensible view, that birth certificate should recognise that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people occupy a unique position uh, and that we need to recognise that they should have a role within um, the foundational rules for our government. OK. Um, on that note, Tom, we're just going to take a quick break and play some community service announcements and we'll be back in a few minutes, listeners. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 03 9419 8377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. listening to Done By Law on 3CR. It's Reconciliation Week and we're talking to Tom Warren-Smith about a bunch of myths surrounding the First Nations voice to Parliament's constitutional amendment. Okay, so you still there, Tom? I am. Excellent. Let's continue. Myth number five. It won't change anything on the ground for First Nations peoples. So... Outcome, there are, firstly, there are a lot of people better placed than me to um, make a judgment on that, you know, people who've worked in these issues for a long time. Um, the, to me, it seems that the you know, outcomes on the ground will change when government changes the laws and policies that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and uh, a, an Australian Law Reform Commission report um, found not that long ago when it analysed solutions for Indigenous um, people that most effective solutions were developed with First Nations people. Um, and so, and that was a kind of key thing that they recommended and it's been recommended in countless Royal Commissions and, and other reviews that to address disadvantage, 
a really important feature of designing effective on-the-ground outcomes is participation by those who are affected. Um, and that's and exactly what this is. Exactly right. This mm-hmm. is a mechanism to guarantee that they can participate. Um, and so um, <clears throat> it's, you know, it's a bit um, kind of trite, I guess, to say, well, you know, changing a Canberra-level solution on a, on a page in the Constitution doesn't make any difference. Um, that's, uh, I don't think that will be the practical reality. Um, and I think, you know, a good example is the, um, the intervention that's often talked about in this and, you know, what it would have been, the situation had there been a body like this at the time so that um, the public debate had the benefit of the views clearly put up as part of a formal process to say how those affected feel about what was being proposed. By the intervention, you mean the the intervention? Just to explain that a little bit, the the social security control? Yeah. So that that was one of the package of measures um, that was implemented by the Howard government in what became known as the the Territory Intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a range of very problematic things that occurred as part of that package of laws um, and uh, that were were introduced very quickly and without the benefit of advice from a body like this to say, hang on a second, this is what we think about what you're proposing to do to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... Yeah, on any sensible view, given the outcomes now, and there's no shortage of academic commentary kind of analysing what the effects of those interventions have been, um, that had there been participation at the time, the outcomes would have been better. Had there been a voice then, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The other point that gets made in, in that context is that, um, you know, they say, well, at the moment we've got the uh, highest level of... Um, First Nations people we've ever had in our parliament and they can already represent the views um, of First Nations people. Uh, now, that sending that does justice to their role in the parliament, which is to represent the geographic electorate mm-hmm. they've been elected by, um, which you know may have competing interests, and it's a bit uh, difficult to say, well, you know, for example, a person elected to represent Tasmania can have a view or a role in representing the views of people in the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that's an answer to this either. Mm-hmm. And you know, having a designated body that has that responsibility is the best mechanism to ensure that that's done properly. To bring all the relevant voices into yeah. the discussion. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Um, the next one we're going to deal with is this idea of sovereignty and ceding sovereignty. What's your response to that one? Um, so this is a this is a, a complicated question. The the answer is fairly clear, but it needs to be remembered. I think the context in which it's put sometimes in that this seems to be an issue particularly for First Nations communities, um, and so I think you need to just step back and realise the practical reality that um, in Australia, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people lost sovereignty, uh, and by that I mean the exclusive control of their society when um, 
the colonising forces took over. And mm-hmm. it was only through that force that the United Kingdom took over territorial control and dictated the laws that applied to everyone in Australia. Um, so in that strict sense, that's when sovereignty was lost. Um, and everyone now is governed by the laws that originate, and our constitution is an act of the British Parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, so, But that's not to say... Um, that, uh, sorry, I'll start that again. The amending that constitution now to ensure that um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have a very modest role in um, in the process of determining the laws that will govern them, that doesn't have any impact on their status um, in the sovereignty question. Um, and I don't think there could be any doubt by any reasonable person that First Nations people ceded sovereignty, um, mm. or that they did not cede sovereignty, I should say. You know, plainly, they didn't stone. want everything that the colonising mm. forces have inflicted mm. upon them. Um, that's just obvious. Yeah. So this um, basically, this is a kind of separate question. It is. The it is. notion it's, of it's sovereignty. Any treaty process, I can't really see how... Um, certainly it'll have no legal effect on that. Um, what needs to be considered here is, you know, what what are the laws going to be, mm-hmm. um, not what, rather than um, focusing on that sort of principal question, which this doesn't affect. Doesn't, it doesn't impact on that. It's a separate discussion, but it's being used to yeah. blur, the, blur the discussion. We've only got a couple of minutes left, Tom. Unfortunately, and that that one's actually a tricky one. It would be nice to have a bit more time to tease it tease it out more. Um, but uh, that will be for another time. Um, I'm it sure it's a complicated question. Yeah, um, but I, yeah, it's it's one again where I think some misinformation has yeah. um, unfortunately permeated the debate. Um, and there's just on, there's just no view where you could say that changing the constitution now has any any effect on that fundamental question of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's status within the Australian polity, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. I hope that's clarified things for people. Um, I'm sure there are lots of other myths out there that we could just keep exploring ad infinitum, um, um, but it would be good to reflect on maybe just one positive thought about this referendum you know just we've in about a minute's worth of speaking because <laughs> it's <laughs> almost we're almost out of time um so what's a um it's nice to leave on a positive note so what what's something that you'd like to say to everybody uh look i think this would be and you know i'm not alone um in fact the, the solicitor general probably said it best that um, the proposed amendment would enhance the system mm-hmm. of representative government within Australia. Um, that we should see this as a great opportunity to add to our current institutions to make sure that they better reflect the people who live here and particularly the people who've been most adversely affected by Australia's history, that is our First Nations people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's potentially a lot of positives um, that can come out of it, and it's a great opportunity to to properly reflect 
um, First Nations people in our constitution and give them a recognised role that I think that they should have um, as the original occupants of the country. The First Nations peoples, especially something to think about in this Reconciliation Week. And on that note, um, we're out of time. So um, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us and sharing your legal expertise with us about this, uh, these uh, stories out there, these myths out there about the voice to parliament and shedding some light on what's a really important issue. Um, uh, so, yes, thank you so much for joining us. And I think I forgot to say welcome in the beginning. So welcome and thank you. <laughs> no, no, it's um, a pleasure to have been involved. And there are certainly lots of resources for people out there and I encourage them to be judicious in what they read. But um, there, are, there are plenty of experts who have really insightful and considered views that can explain all of the issues really clearly. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again. So, and listen, you. if you'd like to learn more about the Voice to Parliament and stay away from myths, there's a couple of really good websites. The first one is reconciliation.org.au or togetheryes.com.au. So have a, have a look at those. And thank you for listening, for tuning in, listening to us tonight. You've been listening to Done by Law on 3CR 855 AM streamed on 3cr.org.au and available on your favourite podcast platform. Done by Law will be back again next Tuesday at 6pm. Stay tuned now for the Voices of West Papua.